Yeah, I'm Tex Steer from uh, Wenatchee, Washington. One of my favorite rides is uh, from the Columbia River up through the Klickitat Gorge to BZ Corner and on into Glenwood. Yippee Rip City. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show. A candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now, here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. From the motorcycling capital of the Pacific Northwest, ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe it, but 2016 is here, and this is the January episode of the Sound Rider Show. Tom, Quint, how are you guys doing today? Fantastic. How about you? I am doing outstanding. And that strange voice, Tom, maybe you can introduce this gentleman to my left here. <laughs> strange? Yeah. All right. Well, say, everybody say hello to Quint. Hello, Quint. Uh, people who have been to Rich's Custom Seats know Quint. And uh, Quint's been around the motorcycle business here how, how long? A decade? Uh, no, actually, since uh, 66. Since 56? 66. 66. 66. Okay. Yeah. So that makes you what? Uh, 37, yeah, there 38, you go. somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I can date myself. In 66, uh, I was 10 years old, and that's when I rode my first motorcycle. And that there motorcycle was? Uh, actually, it was a Honda 50. Um, you could get a Honda 50 step-through, like, sure. like the little scooter deal. Of course, um, yeah. For $120 out the door. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, that's a hell of a deal. <laughs> If only it were that easy anymore, right? Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, good to have you here, Quint. Thank you. Uh, I know, you know, like I said, this is January. Uh, hard to believe it already here, but a nice dry day here in the Pacific Northwest. Lots of stuff going on today on the Soundwriter Show, too, Tom. Maybe a lot going on. Maybe we can bring us up to the speed on what we can look forward to for the next bit. Absolutely. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about um, bikes for 2016. We're going to talk about maybe some 2016 New Year's Moto Resolutions. Always a good time, yeah. And then we're going to get into uh, the calendar. Sure. And then we'll go to News Bites. And then we've got two special guests coming in today. I don't know what order I'll place them in when I edit the show, but we will have uh, Dave Roosevelt from Seattle Used Bikes here to talk about the Seattle Stolen Motorcycle Registry on Facebook. And then we're going to have Jesse Murphy from Truett Motorcycle Education here. And uh, Jesse's going to be talking to us about his uh, one-on-one training that he offers. And that's both uh, on the road and in the shop. A couple of great guys here. And I'll tell you what, it's a good thing that January is a long month because this is going to be a jam-packed show here, huh? So make sure listeners stay tuned, get this one downloaded and in the queue. Absolutely. So uh, uh, it's 2016, and I was doing some poking around the other day, yeah. and looking at the new models that are out there. Uh, you know, not not. I'm not talking about the ones that come in different colors from last year, but I'm talking <laughs> about the new. That's the classic. Uh, that's the classic manufacturer update, right? Is new side panels, new stickers, yeah. new badges. It's sure. called new graphics. Yeah, fresh graphics. Another two hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> so I I was looking and wondering what you guys would pick as a motorcycle to get in 2016 i noticed that uh the scrambler class is just going wild it really is yeah and the uh, 300 class has gone wild a lot of people don't know why that is and i always like telling them why yeah um 
and there's just you know there's there's more dual sports coming on the market. Honda finally woke up, and we've got a couple of nice adventure bikes coming in. Yep, the Africa Twin on that list, of course. Yeah. Well, you know, let's. Uh, I'm going to go to Quint here first, I think, and then a second. But maybe just, and we've talked about it, you and I, before here on the show. But what's let's just get on that 300 class real quick. Why is that becoming so popular? So the deal on the 300 class is that the way that the European licensing is now. Um, people have to ride a smaller bike in Europe when they start out. So it's a graduated stair-step training method, yeah. right? You can't yeah. even get on a bike bigger than 300 until I think it's like a year or two years after you get your endorsement. Right. Hmm. So that's why all that product got created for the European market. Sure. And they figured, well, you know, truthfully, the U.S. market was falling short on not enough 250s out there. And uh, so they, they decided, well, let's just bring these over. We'll DOT them, yeah. and we'll start moving them. And so, you know, you'll, you'll see them now in some motorcycle safety training classes getting used. But, uh, you know, at 300, that's enough to go down the freeway. It is. So you could have some fun. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I'm you know, we've talked about that before. I'm a huge fan just in general of the lower-powered bikes. I, of course, ride a DR350. Oh. That's, that's my daily stable here. But what are your thoughts, Quint? You've been in the business since 66. How do you feel about uh, just maybe the American system here where we just say, hey, you got your license, go ahead, buy that uh, 1,000cc, you know? Well, I'm thinking with Europe Mm -hmm. um, and the European Union, they're probably all standardized. So throughout Europe, they probably have the same... Uh, rules about you know you can't get on a th- over a three hundred right you know till a certain time right um, but, An interesting point but here yeah. in the U S it's different in every state it really is it yeah it's all over the board yeah and we've seen we've talked about that a lot with uh, some of the changes here in the state curriculums between Idaho and California and of course Washington still with MSF uh, it'd be interesting have you guys heard any rumors that maybe any American states would switch to a graduated system like this. Well, it's always state by state in the U.S., but uh, we used to have graduated here in Washington State, and then they took it away, Yeah, and I I don't think that helped anything. Because what was it? Back in the day, you could could ride your test on a little bike, right? but then you're then qualified to ride on a bigger bike, and I I think that's what got changed, right? That's the way it is now. Oh no, that's the way it is now. Okay. Yeah, you don't you don't have to wait to get on a thousand cc bike. Yeah. You get your endorsement, and you can go right out and get your Jixer and hopefully yeah. not kill yourself. Try not to. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't sound like a good idea. Well, I think we're probably all in agreement here around the table. But let's talk about 2016 models, Quint. What are you thinking? If you were going to buy one today, would you go low powered, high powered, dual sport, adventure? Cruiser, what's your uh, bread and butter for 2016 here? Definitely high-powered touring motorcycle. Okay, this is coming from a guy, let's just quantify <laughs> this, based on our last conversation here, who has some experience. Yes. Right, a few, <laughs> a few miles under seat here. So what, and so uh, what is that large touring bike? Uh, I am in love with the Harley-Davidson Road Glide. Sure. Um, I've been buying them since the 90s, and I'm on like my sixth one. Um, the one right now I have is a 2011 and it's the best road glide I've ever had. So but how, now they're even better. How is the 2016 different from the 2011? Uh, they went with the Rushmore. They went with the uh, all the venting. Oh, that whole new motor, right? Well, I don't know about the motor, but the venting. Um, like, okay, so on the fairing, uh, now you have different vents to change the airflow. Yep. They've completely tried to eliminate all the buffeting from a fixed fairing. Oh, uh, so they finally put a road glide in a wind tunnel. Yes, I think so. 
But actually, back in the day when they first came out, I think they had already done the wind tunnel testing because it's a very oh, yeah. aerodynamic fairing. Yeah. I remember riding a, a Buell ST3 or mm. S3T, and uh, we were down in Arizona, and the wind picked up to about 60 miles an hour. And I knew that bike had never been put through a wind tunnel. Oh, yeah. You know, I was just getting blown all over the road. <laughs> so tell me a little bit, though, about the road glide here. What's, what are the specs? Are we talking, you know, 1300cc or are we? Let's see. They, they're going to come out with a couple of different models because I think they have the CVO, what is it, Custom Vehicle Operations, um, which is a 110, 110 cubic inches. And I have no idea how to do the conversion. What the conversion from is there, yeah. CC, but that's probably like eighteen hundred. And this is, but we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about high powered here. But the mission for this is to, you know, you can go two up on this. Yes. Right. Go yeah. out touring. Yeah. You hit the interstate. Maybe some of those great two lane roads out here out west yep. between national parks and that kind of thing. Yep. Is that something just for our listeners and for myself? Is that something that you do a lot of? You do a lot that of is exactly, interstate tour. Yeah. That's the well. Uh, we try to stay off the interstate. Um, if I do the interstate, it's because I got to get somewhere uh, in a certain sure, amount of time. Sure, in a hurry, you got to yeah. schedule to keep yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, so normally, no, uh, we completely get off the interstate. Right now, what, when we're talking, because Harley Davidson, obviously, that's we're talking top end touring there, big yes. power, lots yeah. of weight, probably a dry weight. I don't well, know. Well, it's it's so funny because um, uh, power compared to most other motorcycles, right. Not even close. Yeah. You know, the uh, the Harley is underpowered. Um, for its weight to most and that kind of thing, right. sure, the power right. to weight there, yeah. But it's plenty of power for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're out touring like that too, you know, it's not something that you're looking for straight line speed. You're looking for comfort. You exactly. know, something that will get you up and down those steep grades that we have out here, out yeah. west, especially. And that's another thing too is it's all about the ride. Yeah. So it's all about comfort. Sure. Um, I don't buy chrome. Yeah. You know. Chrome doesn't do anything for me. How about gotcha. bells? Do you get bells? <laughs> yes, I do have bells. Okay. Some bells. A few whistles on there, too, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like, with the road glider. What are we talking about MSRP on this? Do you have any idea? Uh, well, the uh, let me see. The the Ultra model is probably about 24. Um, and the CVO, oh, my God, is like 45. Um, the difference being a bigger engine, different right. trim, you know, more paint. More gotcha. chrome. And then will there be things like the Fireman's Special Edition and that sort of that thing? That part I don't know. I'm sure it'll be coming out with yeah. some of that yeah. here. Well, Derek, what are you going to be riding? So, uh, what are you going to go buy? So, you know, I gave this a lot of thought here. So, like I mentioned earlier here just a few minutes ago, the DR350, that's my staple. And i got to tell you, I love that bike. I think you and I are probably pretty fortunate to say that uh, of all the bikes out there, you, I think you too, with the NC700X, that might be kind of your dream bike, right? If you were going to take one just in general. Uh, maybe that would be it for you, but the DR350 would be it for me. So I came at this as kind of an angle of, say, if I'm going to buy a second bike, what is that going to be? So I, yeah. went, I went through a lot of a lot of consideration and that kind of stuff. And what I ended up coming on, down to was I think that I would go with the 2016 Ninja ZX-10R. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That's a sexy bike. So a super sport, <laughs> you know, I think it's about uh, just under 1,000 cc. Oh. Now, obviously, this is built for more a little bit of racing, but, you know, I live downtown Seattle. Yeah, Duke, so that's a great place to race. It's a great place to race. <laughs> you know, always open roadways. But, no, but I was thinking, look, you know, I ride my DR350. It's a daily driver. It's great in the backcountry. It's great for adventure touring. So, you know, if I was going to get into something maybe a little bit different, I looked at this, and I thought that this was the bike. And I'll be honest with you, what really you know, cast my vote strongly, because I was looking at a lot of different stuff here over the last couple of weeks, was that on the webpage, uh, Kawasaki's webpage for 2016, they actually had a picture of this bike 
with the Space Needle in the background that was taken probably about a <laughs> block and a half from my apartment. Oh. Uh, on a sunny day. Uh, it was actually a little <laughs> overcast. But uh, So I figure, you know, if, this is a, if it was meant to be, that was it. But, you know, I think, hey, maybe a little speed to complement the practicality of the DR350 and the adventure touring aspect. If I'm going to go with the second bike, I think it'd be the Ninja ZX-10R ABS, and that's all new for 2016. Yeah, so that's got the full suspension set up and all that, too, right? That's right. I mean, it's pretty much, it's a race bike, you know? I mean, that's kind of what it's for. But it looks like a hell of a lot of fun, and it's got some great styling with this uh, matte carbon fiber black uh, with some of the gray, uh, some green little accents in there. Beautiful bike, 2016. That would be my choice. Okay, well, I got got my pick, and it is the... um uh, C, I think it's it's a CB500X. Sure. And Honda just redid that bike for 2016. Right. And then uh, our friend Harold down in Bend, Oregon at, at Giant Loop has all those uh, rally raid products. Tour, yeah. And so um, I would I would want to get the bike and just completely rally rate it to death. Right. And get that fat front tire, that, that big front tire on the front. Not like a not like a PW two hundred gotcha. Yamaha, but uh, it's a it's like a I think it's a twenty one inch yeah that, front wheel that I, they can put on it now. I think that sounds right. And I tell you what, we had that down at the rally in the gorge this year. Yeah, with Harold, right? Yeah, it's a pretty good looking bike, and you're talking about for a good mix of just touring and maybe even a little adventure touring about five hundred pounds, just yeah. about right, you know. And it's lightweight, you know. Yeah. I would have told you that I'd want the NC700X, but it's not a new model, and I already have one. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, darn. Well, let's run through the stable real quickly for our <laughs> listeners here. You've got the NC700X. You've got uh, the um, the 650, right, another Honda. So you're not straying from the Honda. Oh, we don't need to go through the stable. Right. Because <laughs> no. that's all going to change in, in 2016, too. I got so Some stuff's going to get sold off. Well, speaking of changes in 2016, then maybe we can get into some Moto New Year's resolutions for the the uh, the new year let's do it let's do it quick so we can spin into the next section here but go ahead what's yours that sounds good to me you know my new year's resolution for 2016 is i had a great great time doing some uh adventure touring sort of uh, uh training down with a uh, good friend gary anderson a good friend to sound rider here and uh, we had talked about doing some more stuff in the late summer and fall broke my arm out in idaho but uh, 2016 gary i'm coming back down there to see you and you're going to impart all those years of wisdom on me. So I look forward to that. Quint, what do you got? Well, my re- usual New Year's resolution is probably to ride more. But uh, I have a feeling I'm going to try to uh, go somewhere where it's warm before winter's over. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get on my hydrotherapy tour. Yeah, uh, that's right. Hot Check pool that out. every morning, hot pool every night. Woo. Yep, you go ahead and hit the uh, archives there. i got a lot of great suggestions. And uh, how about you there, Tom? My my New Year's resolution is I, I I worked hard last year and I didn't ride as much as I wanted to so I want to make sure I get out and do a good ride every month. I think that's a that's a great idea there and uh, we a little background music there from uh, someone's cell phone going off. But um, any particular spots you think you'd like to hit maybe in the next couple of months on uh, 2016 here? Uh, i got to look at the calendar. There you go. But it'll be stuff off our calendar for sure. Anywhere and everywhere. And, uh, of course, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up already here in January in the calendar. Going to get to that and much, much more just on the other side of the break. Stick around on the Sound Rider Show. Hi, this is Mark from Valentine Motorworks, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. Hi, this is Ian. I live in Seattle. I ride a Kawasaki Versus, and this summer I'm going to be riding off-road in the Oregon desert. 
Welcome back to the Soundwriters Show. We are uh, here with uh, our News Bites section, and we're going to be talking about some of the interesting news that's going on uh, locally as well as around uh, around the country and maybe even beyond. Um, anybody uh, who reads Soundwriter knows you can find our News Bites column right off the home page just go to soundwriter.com and click on news bites uh, we can't talk about everything here on the show so for more of that information you just want to go to that section on the website that's right it's been a pretty active uh, last couple of weeks too so as much as we'd like to talk about everything this would turn into i think about a five-hour broadcast so <laughs> yeah I mean, we got a list of like seven or eight things and i i think i'll be flipping my hand around telling you we got to wrap <laughs> right. it up before we even get to the end of it. Well, so. I tell you what, why don't we jump right into it then, and let's talk about uh, the new hot topic across the nation, but especially here in the Pacific Northwest, and that's E15 fuel. What do you guys Yuck. know about that? Yeah. What is that, 15% ethanol or something like that? Or? I think that's yeah. the, the ratio there, which is pretty much corn water, right? Right. Corn yeah. water, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want, I want a motorcycle that's designed to run on corn water, right. and I'd be okay with all this, <laughs> but... Uh, it's it's going to be problematic, particularly on the carbureted bikes, if yeah. it gets through. So for, for the um, older technology, if you have if you have a, yeah, even like if you have like a 1990 right. carbureted bike, or even something before 2000, uh, corn water is a problem. And if you don't want corn water in your motorcycle, you want to go on the Soundrider website and use the link to the American Motorcyclist page. Uh, first of all, you can educate yourself a lot about what this E15 issue is, and then you can go to the American Motorcyclist page and get to your congresspeople. And uh, they have some form letters. It takes you about a minute or two to fill out and uh, and just let them know and let your voice be heard. We don't want to not uh, talk up this situation with our Congress people. That's right. Now, there's a lot of different aspects to this here, and of course, we could go, you know, wholly political here, but we'll save that for maybe InfoWars. Um, but let's talk about just kind of the mechanical aspect here with E15 and your guys' experience. Now, I'll tell you from my personal experience, uh, aviation is a hobby of mine. This has been something that's been on the docket for a long time here because. A lot of airplanes from the 60s and 70s that people still fly as their normal everyday airplanes, they used to be able to get what they'd call mo gas at the airports, which would be car gas without ethanol. Now you can't find it. Um, but this E15 stuff, like you said, with that older technology, the carbureted technology, really is, will do a number on your uh, on your engines and your components there. Have you guys run into any particular experience uh, with some of your older bikes here as far as using E15? Uh, well, I've never used E15 because it's not out yet. Yeah. But the E10 right. has, uh, has well, more than ethanol. once varnished a uh, carburetor inside. Right, just the ethanol base here, yeah. yeah. Now, was there also an issue of uh, eating up rubber parts or... That's it. A lot of the gaskets and that kind of thing. The water. Mm. One of the, one of the thing is is the moisture content is much more susceptible to temperature changes and that kind of thing. So you get a lot of expanding and contracting. So your pilot jets are going to get eaten up, right? Not and probably good. more yeah. water in your gas tank. With more water in your gas tank. Yep, that's absolutely right. And I think overall too, just a, a little bit less bang for the buck as well, right? Not quite as efficient as the uh, the good old stuff. Yeah, now we had uh, a few people chiming in on the post that we did on Facebook. Um, somebody was saying that they were able to do an entire trip last year by using a website where they could go and they could find out who was selling the pure 
octane gas right. and not the E10. Uh, but the problem with this is in the new legislation that they're throwing out for this, they're going to cut down how many places you can go and get that pure fuel. So that website won't work anymore. Mm. So you really be up a tree. Yeah. But what's, what's that mean for you know guys like me who ride the carbureted bikes and that kind of stuff? I mean, it's... Uh... Is anybody going to step in? Are we going to have to do fuel additives, or are we going to have to uh, get our own gas tanks? I mean, what's going to be the solution here? Or well, so if you read up? the article, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they talk about a device that they will have on the pump where you can change the mixture. Problem is, by the time you've pumped in and filled up your little tank on your DR350, right. that just took yeah. all that was in the hose. Yeah. So if somebody had that at E15 before you, that's going to be E15 in the hose before you can get ETN in. Right. Well, I think, you know, that's uh, – I don't. I mean, I, I, the only way to combat this then is to uh, get online, go to those links. Uh, the AMA, I know, has been pretty active in all this. Um, I really hate to see this, though. I don't know. I just give me the good stuff. Give me the real stuff. What does he got? Well, we got to speak up and make sure it doesn't happen. Right. right. Everybody, everybody listening, everybody, every, every one of your friends, share yeah. the Facebook post. That's right. <laughs> All right. Let's go to another topic here. Um, we recently had a little glitch in our um, uh, show file. And people who were on iTunes that were subscribed weren't able to pull down the show. But we uh, we fixed that, and that's working. And I'm really happy to say that our uh, number of downloads is increasing a lot right now. I think we doubled it since October. It's growing really fast. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's very exciting. I and mean, we can't thank all the listeners and the readers for uh, downloading and uh, taking the time to tune in. I don't know about you, but I've been having a hell of a lot of fun this year, and uh, I look forward to doing it for a long time. So I hope people keep downloading, keep listening. And, of course, we are on iTunes now. So we're on iTunes. Yep. We're on Google Play. We're on uh, TuneIn. We're on uh, – I, I can't remember all these places, uh, but it, we've seeded it through a lot of the more popular – subscription sites and you don't have to use any of those you can just go straight go to, to the, the soundwriter yeah. website hit the show link and you can uh, get the the direct feed link there so you can subscribe directly into your phone or whatever that's right i tell you what uh soundwriter global right all over the place. You can get us from coast to coast, uh, continent to continent here, right, Quint? <laughs> yes, everywhere. <laughs> so uh Quint, you were out the other day uh, visiting with the dealers, and you came across some interesting information about a Tacoma shop. Tell yes, us about that. Uh, I actually stopped in at Tacoma Triumph. Um, I was working for uh, a different company uh, as a representative. Sure. Um, and so uh, I, w- I was talking to the guy, and he could say it. He was working with Rich. Rich's, Rich's customer. Rich's customer. Yeah, 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 Rich, a friend of the show, a friend yeah, of Soundwriter yeah. here. And uh, so I was doing some marketing for him and, and hitting up all the area dealerships, and I stopped into Tacoma Triumph to thank them for sending Rich's so many happy customers. Yeah. Um, and he said, yeah, we're closing by the end of the month. So Man. right about now, they could be closed already. Right. So it was going to be by the end of this month, the end of December. So, how, yeah, how so long have actually, they been down there? this month is January, January now. So yeah. they're already closed. Yeah. Yes. They're closed. How long have they been down there in tri- uh, Triumph at Tacoma? About you know, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think it's been about five years. Exactly. Okay. I think so. Uh, not, not the same crew that started it up. Um, and I'm kind of not surprised. Well, the, the guy I was speaking to, and I can't even remember his name, um, he mentioned that uh, it was very competitive in new motorcycles um, because none of the big dealers uh, sell at MSRP. 
Mm. They're selling at almost cost to be able to sell motorcycles. And so those small shops that can't sell at cost, (laughs) uh, they're losing out. And so uh, that's what he was saying is that there's just too much competition and the competition's cutting prices and they can't compete. So the question is going to be where will the Triumph line wind up in wind up at in the South Sound? Anybody have a prediction? Um, let's see. Did you just say South Sound? I think it'll wind up at South Sound <laughs> Motorcycles if if they can pull the floor space off. Because you know they've got Ducati in there and they've got BMW and it's a whole trick bag on floor space and what you dedicate to what lines and how you have to keep them all separated and all this stuff. So, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. It can't go away down there, though, right? I mean, it's got to. They're going to have to have somebody It's got to be there. somewhere down you know, there. You know, they the have a place on the peninsula, uh, out on the Kitsap Peninsula, and it's like a car dealership. I think they still have an OEM out there, you know, Triumph OEM going on with this car dealership. I hope that doesn't happen. Sure. Was that uh, Kitsap, Buick, and Triumph? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, it's not your daddy's Triumph or Buick. Well, speaking, I guess, maybe of cars and car dealerships and that kind of stuff, uh, one of the major brands, Yamaha, uh, and this is something that Tommy floated on our Facebook page, doing a little research into uh, a four-wheel version, an actual car from Yamaha. So they, they have prototyped a car, and mm. it's beautiful. Yeah, it looked great. It's kind of like when uh, Honda wanted to launch the Acura line, and so they put out the NSX. Mm. Little little kind of racer car thing. Nice car. Oh, and man. So uh, link on that on our Facebook page. There's a picture of it and then a link to the story all about it. Uh, they're not they're not saying they're going to do this for sure, but I tell you, if they, if they took that prototype that they show that we have on the article, uh, heck, if I had an extra 60 or 90 grand, I'd go buy one. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Throw some money at it. Well, it's interesting, too. You know, that's something I guess you always think of because – you know, Honda obviously has cars. Suzuki, uh, I know they've sort of discontinued their line here in the United States, yeah, but still tried, pretty. That didn't work. Well, still pretty popular though around the world, right? <laughs> right. And you just yeah. wonder about uh, Yamaha maybe trying to enter that market there, but we'll see. It looks good though. Nice to check out the pictures and maybe read a bit about the research and that kind of thing. So speaking of uh, markets, um, we've we've always kind of been ahead of the game on the number of women who read Soundwriter. And uh, I bumped into an article the other day that said that the national average has gone from 10 to 12 percent. Uh, Quint ran into an article that said it went from 8 to 14. Right, right. And I took a look at our uh, subscriber base, our current subscriber base, and we're actually at 15 percent women writers. Ahead of the curve. Excellent. So uh, we've, you know, we've always tried to make uh, Soundwriter a great place for men and women. We don't do bikini bike wash stuff. Right. Not very often. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's 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 a good place for women to go and get information about riding in the Northwest. Uh, I've had people say to me, you know, hey Tom, Mister Packing Light, Packing Right, you need to do a whole different clinic for women. So I went to some of my women riders and I said, what would I do? And they said, nothing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not gear different there. riding, and you're a woman or right. a man. What you carry it a couple odds and ends that they're going to be different, but yeah, you know. Well, in those odds and ends, I think they probably wouldn't want that advice from you anyway, right? So it's probably I'm probably not the one who could give it to them. Yeah. But I think that's great to see. I'm wondering, though, on uh, your thoughts here, both Tom and Quint, what do you guys think uh, the change, what's leading that? Because it seems like overall maybe we're losing uh, some riders in general, younger riders. We talk about that a lot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, millennials and that kind of thing. But then in the same token here, it seems like more women are coming on board. What do you think is driving the shift? Uh, you know, it- I haven't thought about it a lot, but 
Um, could it be that maybe there are just more people out there? Well, but this is a this is percentage as a whole, right? I think aren't they saying that uh, you take just the general population one hundred percent, and now it's fifteen percent? Well, Tom Ryder, it's fifteen percent nationally. It's fourteen percent. Um, I think in a psychographic sort of way, I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of women out there who ride motorcycles that fit the the uh, confidence yeah. level you need. Uh, and you know, we've 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 seen. We've gone through the 60s with women's lib and this sort of thing. And I think it's kind of the next level of, of psychographic within women is they're a lot stronger mentally now. I think they have a lot more confidence. And they, they want to feel the wind in their face, too. Right. Sure. Much well, more think, independent. Well, I think discretionary income comes into play there, right? Uh, what about, um, do you think, or do we have any statistics just in relation between scooters and motorcycles, I'm wondering? Well, the uh, the... The uh, article that I found on the Cyril Hughes blog, mm-hmm. and I got a shout out for here, Cyril Hughes sure. out of uh, France. Uh, the Motorcycle Industry Council, big they, fan of his work, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, they did a survey, and the latest sh- survey shows that women account for fourteen percent. So that's you know right on the same numbers we're talking about. Right. Of all U.S. motorcycles and scooters, and that's up from eight percent in nineteen ninety eight. And uh, of those female riders. Thirty-four percent are riding cruisers. Really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Thirty-four yeah. percent on cruisers. But then yeah. right behind them are the scooters. Yep. Thirty-three okay. percent. So that's like the complete yeah. dichotomy there, exactly. right? Well, that's yeah. great. Though. I mean, yeah. either way, I, more people in the sport than merrier. We talk about a lot again here on the show. We like scooters. We like cruisers. We like dual sports, adventure bikes. We like motorcycles. Anything that's on yeah. two wheels, yeah. uh, you get out there and ride it. Even a few of those three wheelers look like a hell of a lot of fun. I can't say I've been on one, but. Fifteen percent for Sound Rider, man. I think that's great, and keep them coming, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, oh, and then uh, I left out sport bikes. Sure, ten percent of the women are buying sport bikes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. See, in the sport bike it, market's only about eleven percent for us right now here, yeah. which is that's dropped a lot. So that's an, an, another. We could take that subject up another day, but and sure. could it, could it be that it's uh, the motorcycles that fit them better? It's scooters, that, and it's that a lot of people... Scooters and cruisers. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Would you say cruisers have lower seat heights, maybe? For, for sure. You can yeah. get a lot of cruisers with a lower seat height. So that makes so. a difference, a little more confidence yeah. right, right. here. First-time riders, like. that kind of thing, yeah. Right. Interesting. All right, Good well, let's do, uh, let's do one more here. You can either do Pike's Peak or Evil Knievel. What do you want to do? Lead us in here, Quint. Yeah, uh, what's going do, on? Let's, let's do, do Evil Knievel. Oh, you want oh, to do Pike's Peak? Let's do Pike's Peak. <laughs> okay. So the, the reason this caught my eye is because uh, 2016 is the 100th anniversary of the Pike's Peak International Hill Climb. And and for me, that's been an iconic thing all my life. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, the Pike's Peak. Hell, yeah. Um, so they, they've also changed one of the rules. Okay, so off and on over the years, over the last hundred years, motorcycles have not been allowed to compete, and then they have, and then they know, and then yes, and ah. it usually has to do with accidents and fatalities. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. So every time there's a fatality, and it hasn't happened that often, but the oh, motorcycles Banner aren't allowed motorcycles, anymore. Right. But what they're going to do for 2016, uh, sport bikes are allowed, um, but they have to be a sport bike that was manufactured with a one-piece handlebar. So a flat handlebar. One oh, piece. really? Okay. Interesting. Because what they're saying is, with the one-piece flat bar, you're sitting more upright, more vertical. You don't, 
you know, get off the seat so much on right. corners. As we see Quint uh, in studio here <laughs> leaning for all our listeners here. Yeah. Pretty good lean, Quint, for being in the sports in 66. So you no still get over on that seat pretty good there, man. No clip-ons allowed. No clip-ons allowed because the clip-ons put you lower on the bike and you get a farther lean angle. Better center gravity. And, and, well, then you don't have the visibility to see animals out on the road. Oh, okay. and so And it's funny. Uh, there are a lot of animals yeah. on that road. Yeah. Oh, my God. I haven't been up there myself. I want to. It's on my list. Oh, yeah. On the bucket list. Definitely. Yep. Got to go. Got to go. So I'm thinking, 100th anniversary. I went to the 100th of Harley. Right. I might as well go to the 100th of Pikes Peak. Yeah, absolutely. That's be the uh, the new uh, Quint road trip. Yeah, 100th Annie. <laughs> yeah, right? It yeah. is everything you can find. <laughs> no, so. more, no more Soundwriter road trip. It's that's, a Quint road trip. Right. Now. <laughs> everything 100th anniversary. I like that. Well, for Sturgis, I did 75th. Okay. Well, hey, another 25 years to <laughs> yeah. go, man. We'll get you out there. So. All right, so tell us where we can get the Evil Knievel bike. Oh, so... Remember the movie uh, back in the 70s? It was the uh, uh, Viva Knievel. Yeah. Okay, so it was all about Evil Knievel. Um, I think it got like a 95 on the Rotten Tomatoes score. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> now, now, is that good or bad? Uh, I haven't well, figured probably out Rotten good. Tomatoes. In my book, the, the higher the better. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bonham's Auctions. Um, they're having their uh, annual auction in Las Vegas coming up at Bally's Casino uh, this month. Uh, so as we speak, they are having the auction in Las Vegas at Bonham's, actually at Bally's Casino. Um, and what it is, it's a, an XL1000 Sportster, and it was built by Bud Eakins. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, he was building all of them. Sure. Um, so let's see. Um, it was a 1976 Ironhead Sportster, but they made it to look like an XR750 jump bike, the bike that he did all his jumps on. Uh-huh. But it was a different bike, and that was just for the movie. So. Um, that would be so cool. Yeah, oh, be, my God. It would be a nice one oh for the collection, God. definitely. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, yeah, beginning of January uh, in the, at the uh, Bally Casino in, at Bonham's Auctions. Yeah. And then we had a couple of uh, barn finds, right? Uh, Bruff Superiors. Uh, have you all heard about Bruff Superiors? So you're going to have to bring me up to the speed. I'm probably not the only one out there. But, uh, this uh, was uh, a Bruff Superior made in England. Um, and they were the Rolls-Royce of motorcycles in the 1920s and 1930s. Okay, right? yeah. And in the 1920s and 30s, what was the style? Art Deco. Sure. Yeah. I love the old Art Deco Harleys. So this is an Art Deco English bike, Bruff Superior. Um, they were the Rolls-Royce of motorcycles back in the day. So they I found mean, eight of these in a barn? Yeah. Yeah, some guy found them all, put them in a barn. They've been sitting in a barn for 50 years. Huh. So we'll, now they got eight of them going up for sale. And again, it's bottoms, but not in Las Vegas. They just cleaned all the chicken crap off them, and, yes, and they're um, selling them as is? Them Actually, yeah. I don't know if they do. Usually on those kind of deals, they don't even clean them up. Right. they right. got they got to have the patina. Yeah, yeah. That's right, that vintage feel. What do those go for? Just What do they expect? Well, the they're expecting most of them to be in the 100000 range. Okay. Yeah. So there yeah. you go, 100th anniversary of Pikes Peak, $100,000 motorcycle. Quinn, we got this whole year planned out for you, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but if you want to go to Cyril Hughes' blog, CyrilHughesBlog.com, um, they have all that information on there. Okay. It's a great right place to find out information on motorcycles. All right. So, Other than Sound Rider, I mean. Ah, thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. And so we uh, we will keep that News Bites uh, feed updated daily uh, at soundrider.com. Just click on News Bites. We're going to be right back with the calendar. Hi there. This is Uli Langenberg from Uli's Famous Sausage, and you are listening to the Sound Rider Show. Hi. This is Tracy Jeffries, and I'm one of the Dirty Girls. And one of the places that I love to go get dirty at is over in the Leavenworth Plain area. 
We are back. Welcome back to the Soundwriter Show. I'm Quint, the new guy, and I'm here with Tom and Derek. And now it's time for the segment on the calendar. What do you got for us, Tom? We got a lot going on. I, I want to thank everybody who contributed to the calendar. We were able to put together a really fat calendar for 2016, and it'll just get fatter as, as time goes on. Um, first one I want to point out here is uh, Mickey Faye bringing uh, flat track racing, uh, keeping it alive here in the Pacific Northwest. So oh, there'll good. be some uh, races down at Puyallup. Uh, the first one's going to be on January 2nd, so I hope you listen to this show on the 1st. But uh, that's going on. Uh, you know, I was doing a little homework the other day too on flat track racing in Pacific Northwest. Oh yeah, there's not there's many there's not that many people doing it now. Right. So uh, I'm I'm glad to see that this guy just keeps pumping out the races. It's a great community thing down there. And are just they, ten bucks too, right? I mean, hey, are they still bucks. racing down at Castle Rock? Uh, no. Not, or no, how that's about Hannigan? Off, off, uh, no. No. Uh, I'm not sure about Hannigan. Um, I think I think it is still going on up at Hannigan, but uh, Grays Harbor that that's over and out now. Wow. Uh, not much going on in Spokane anymore. I mean, we had some legends come out of the Northwest, you know, yeah. that, that were flat track racers. We just don't have that much. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see that sport build up a little bit in the future. Here, it's, hopefully, it's funny. The last one I went to was Emerald Downs. Oh, yeah. the casino here, right? On the, uh, no, the no, 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 no. This is down on the horse track. <laughs> yeah, I went to that too. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then, uh, on the ninth, Moto Corsa down in Portland is going to be doing a service seminar. And we talked about uh, we talked to uh, Jesse today. Well, we're going to talk to Jesse today about right. his stuff. But um, it's it's good to have these kind of seminars going on in the winter. People can go in and learn a few things, maybe figure out that they can fix something themselves, or they probably maybe figure out that they need to get their bike in the shop and get a level three done or whatever. Well, one of the best things about the winter time, right, is getting your bike up on the stand there, on the center stand, doing a little work. And, of course, the guys down at Motor Course always do a good job. So if you're in the Portland area... Head on out, man. That's just on the ninth. So yeah, I just I just need to find a way to stay warm in the garage. <laughs> That's right. A little a little heat in the garage, or you know, <laughs> we'll get you. We'll get a couple of ropes. We'll get over the balcony here and up to the studio. Maybe put some hot hands in my jacket. Or there something. you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On the fifteenth, this is going to be uh, Martin Luther Day King weekend snow camp with your host Rafi Mugabe and whoever shows up whoever's crazy enough to go camp in the snow uh, weather looks good right now I think they've probably got snow over there at the horse camp uh, but if they don't there's always that ride I think it's on Saturday everybody makes a makes a, a beeline for paradise sometimes they get there sometimes they don't uh, there's always food going around you need to bring some food to throw in the pot too and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. There's more more info on that on our calendar page, and you can get to the link to the uh, article all about it. Uh, the Green Freeze continues. Uh, this is a, a three. This is an event that happens over three months. They do it once a month, January, February, and March, and uh, it's changed hands in terms of who handles it now. Um, in terms of the Goldwing Group that puts it on, sure. But uh, it is still going on, and the dates are there. Well, the sixteenth is, is uh, the first one in January. Yeah, and these are our good friends down at Hinshaw Motorcycles here in Auburn, Washington, too. Yeah, they yeah. they always host it, and uh, so I, I think Lisa must work there. I don't know for sure, but she's the contact person, and we've got her phone number and her email address right in there. Uh, let's see, okay, uh, this is a big one. Um, January 29th, the Portland Motorcycle Film Festival. 
This is a fundraiser for OMRA, uh, which is Oregon Motorcycle Road Racing Association. And uh, it's this is about, I think this is the third year that they've been doing this. And uh, they picked the best four new motorcycle movies. Right. And they may be movies that you're never going to see anywhere else. Um, a lot of times they're just independent releases. They're not some major studio release. Uh, you can go to the website link from our calendar page and find out what the movies are going to be this year. It goes over two days, and, uh, you know, hey, what else are you going to do in the winter but watch movies? Well, that's true, and that's just to read the description here. This is the 29th and the 30th, and uh, four films will be shown at the Hollywood Theater. Monies raised from the screenings will support OMRA in upgrading an air fence for the track in Portland. And you can go pdxmotorcyclefilms.com. Uh, fourth year, fourth year here. Have you ever been down there, Tom, to check this out? Or I have not been. Yeah, to it yet. I'd like to. I you know I was doing a little research on this. I had uh, stumbled across it, and uh, it looks like a pretty good time down there. Portland's got some great restaurants. If they you do. can make it down there, it's a great city to hang out in. Yeah, absolutely. So check it out. And always good to see events that uh, maybe promote the sport to a little bit broader audience too, right. as well. You know, so we'd like to check it out. Good luck to them down there. Yeah. So that's our January calendar, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. I tell you what, man, the heart of winter, and we're still. In the still Northwest, got things to do. Still bringing them in, yeah. <laughs> and nothing like when we had those, you know, cook, chili cook-offs and Santa sessions, but uh, well, hey, December's gone, you December's know. December's gone. It's a new year, and <laughs> I, you can still do all the chili cook-offs you want. No one's going to stop you from that. So, All right. Well, we will be back with our first guest right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Ryan Brown from Seattle Cycle Center, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi. Al Brooks here uh, from Surrey, B.C., um, lovely day here in British Columbia. Not to tell all the people that live elsewhere about that, but uh, one of my favorite riding places is Central Oregon, John Day area. I go there usually once a year, twice a year, and ride all around the roads there. Lots of curvy roads for uh, road road guys, and lots of gravel roads for adventure touring guys. And beautiful scenery. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sound Rider Show. Right in the mix of this January episode here. Got a great guest in studio here, Tom. Who do we have today? We have Dave Roosevelt here, who is a longtime legendary guy in the Northwest motorcycle scene. And uh, Dave, how long? I, I know you you're you go back twenty or thirty years or more. Oh hi Tom. Good morning. At least twenty, thirty years. I started at Big Four Accessories in 1977, which was on Aurora, about 120th or so. Ah, okay. And then uh, you had the uh, the Nezer group. Nezra was a, a riding group that we had formed years ago, one of the early Seattle sport bike clubs. We'll term it as that. And, and it was a little bit kind of hooligan-ish? Oh, I guess in our day we were, but not like not like the kids you see today that doing the stand-up wheelies in the middle of the block. And Sports bike riders. Well, I, know like that, that. Yeah. No. I know that road down the, down the well, hill here, from me here. Mm-hmm. That was part of the racetrack, right? Car-key, the Park. Car-key Park. Well, there was yeah, Wachelli yeah. International Raceway also. You know, that was a good spot. <laughs> <laughs> or Blue, Blue Ridge Parkway. You know, that was always a good race racetrack, too. And then you wound up over in Bellevue working, uh, what was the name of the dealership at that time? Well, over the years, I ended up uh, in Bellevue at Bellevue Ducati, Bellevue Suzuki Ducati and Polaris. That's right. 
I started there in 1991 in the winter. Okay, and then in about 2000, yeah, 2000. Yeah, I was I was there for about nine years at Bellevue and uh, got bit by the Italian bug, Ducati, and then went and opened my own Ducati store in Seattle, Ducati Seattle. I formed that in March of 99. Okay. And uh, you continued doing that until 2014? We did about 13 years. And as I term it, we had a little bit of a partner shakeup, and I got to learn all about partners. And, <laughs> and, and luckily, we're in a place in the world we can uh, take the next step and move forward and continue to do what we love. So I successfully opened another business called Seattle Used Bikes. Right. And that's a building that uh, Jerry Drager has, right? That's one of Jerry Drager's buildings, yeah. you bet. And he's been good to you, I know, on that. Oh, Jerry and I have been friends for many years. Most of us have been friends with him. And uh, he's a great landlord, very easygoing, and gave us a great high-visibility spot there. And you do, uh, 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 every month you do a, a bike night over there in conjunction with the guys from the Fuse Box, Yeah, right? thank you for asking. The second Wednesday of every month, we have a bike night. We bring in a smoker. We cook meats all day long, and we have just a general get-together. I get the invite every month, and I haven't made it yet, but I will. I see that smoker parked out in oh, front of yeah. like 10 you, in the morning. You that are thing missing is going. out. You are missing out. Yeah. Yeah, if that'll bring a rider down, man, some smoked meat and motorcycles, <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> and a bar when next door. That? Yeah, let's get second that started. Wednesday. Let's get that started today. I'm ready to go. And, and we do it year-round, every month. Awesome. So we, uh, you, you let me know about this uh, website that you started within Facebook. It's a, a page in Facebook called the Seattle Stolen Motorcycle Registry, and that's Correct. what I want to talk about today. Great, great. Well, you know, uh, I want to say one more thing about Seattle Used Bikes, and that is that we see ourselves as a community shop. We try to involve ourselves in community affairs, what's going on, help new riders as they come in, teaching them how to do what Jesse's doing also in adjusting chains and getting the basics done, getting their hands dirty. Yeah, And that leads back to being part of the motorcycle community. So I had a friend who lost a motorcycle back in June of 2014, 2013, excuse me. And uh, he wrote to me panicked, knowing that I had a fairly good Facebook presence at that point and, and internet presence and asked me if I would put the word out. It was stolen in my neighborhood in the Woodland Park Zoo parking lot, which seemed crazy to have a bike stolen so close to, you know, everyone. And nobody saw a thing. Hmm. And, and that's just for our listeners who aren't uh, from the Seattle area here. That's just outside of downtown Seattle, too, That right? is, right so, outside of downtown Seattle. A little suburbish, almost. It's, uh, uh, it's considered the Fremont neighborhood, is right. what I consider it. Yeah. And uh, so it got me to, to dig in a little bit and look and see how bad is this problem. And I discovered that Fremont is actually the highest number of reported motorcycle thefts in the last three years. Hmm. 81 reported. Wow. And that's only reported. People who don't report, just, you know, they lose their bike and that's that. So it is a problem. We have seen for years Yamaha is one of the more targeted brands. Sure. And we see people come in with bikes that have had ignition switches broken out. And, you know, we ask them questions. First off, we ask for registration so we know we're not fixing a thief's bike. It's always That's good. Very good first start. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the tow guys are into that also. They know now to look at a person's registration before they'll tow a bike out of the scene. So I took it one step further, started a Facebook page, and started letting people know that I had this up. And people eventually started sending me posts they would they would have in their club forum they'd send it to me they'd bring it to my attention i'd see them on craigslist and i just started putting them up and eventually in time dots started getting connected so how many at any given time how many bikes we have posted there um i had a uh, run here about two weeks ago i think it was four honda groms in a row got stolen three off capitol hill and uh one in somewhere in seattle so now that must be different, though, than like an R1 or something. Because a Grom, are these guys just throwing it in the back of a van, or are they... Well, I think any bike is yeah. vulnerable. I don't care. Sure. You know, unless, right. Well, that's true. That's a good point. Unless you anchor that bike to the ground, yeah. they're going to take it if they want it. Mm -hmm. 
with the Groms, I think they're taking those and parting those out because many of those guys put ex- lots of accessories on them. That's true, yeah. The Yamaha series that we saw, R1s, R6s, most of them were just altered in visual appearance and ridden. And what I heard is they'll steal license plates off bikes that they don't steal and then put a good plate on a stolen bike so it's not flagged when they get if they get seen. So there's really a lot of different ways that oh, yeah. these bikes come to the registry here. I have a customer who reported to me in her apartment in Lower Queen Anne. They broke into the parking garage. There were seven people milling around the garage at 4 o'clock in the morning. They they left behind a, lights, a box full of motorcycle license plates and car license plates that they had stolen. Really? And they left that behind. And so, again, that puts two and two together, and they know that they're stealing plates to put on stolen vehicles. That's incredible. So yeah. so back to uh, the, the actual registry here. Mm-hmm. So now, where, first of all, where can people find this online? Well, again, you have to go right to Seattle Stolen Motorcycle Registry. Okay. On Facebook, it's spelled out that way. Sure. And, uh, Just go in the search bar and, yep. and type that in. It pops up pretty quick. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of my proudest moments in this registry was um, there were some thieves in the Fremont area. They had had their pictures seen on the cameras as they taped up the cameras in the parking garage. They had quite a few good shots. And it happened right down in Fremont Central. So I wrote to Jessica Vetz, who is the director for the Chamber of Commerce in Fremont, and she was kind enough to send these photos out to all their businesses within the chamber. Wow. And they were recognized, and they were arrested. They were spotted. Well, really, you know, and this is maybe a bit of a personal opinion here, but I find that these sort of community-organized sort of events are usually a lot more effective because the police can only do so much on their own, right? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that there's not enough budget for the police force to do what we would all like them to do, to be a little more present in, you know, guarding our homes, our neighborhoods, our businesses. We've had two break-ins in our shop, unfortunately, in the three-year period we've been there. And the second time it happened, it was pretty quick to pin down who it was. The police agree they know who it is. They don't have enough to go after him, apparently. When we look on King County court records, he has 28 arrests for theft and for all kinds of things like that. And they still can't do anything to him. One of the two Seattle, North Seattle precinct detectives, one of the two, called me after a month after our break-in to discuss the details. That's pretty sad. When that's a little bit of a time lag yeah, there. I mean, yeah. that that motorcycle could be, you know, Long in gone. a shipping container sure. on the other side of the world sure. there. But let's talk maybe about on a more positive note. Let's talk about success stories here. Do you, you have bet. any a rolling record of how many bikes have been recovered no, due to the registration? No, I, I, I haven't kept track of that. But sure. I, I would say over time, I've probably reported about 150 bikes so far in the wow. last couple of years, and I'd say. And this is since 2011. 2013. And 13, actually. excuse yeah. me, yeah. And uh, out of those bikes, I'd say at least 12 dozen have been recovered that I know of. Wow, for sure. Um, other crime rings have been put together or have been, have been identified through some of the posts I've put up also. Sure. And, uh, which has been a nice thing. And I was contacted by David Rose, um, for, who is on channel Fox 13 and also does America's most wanted program. Washington's yeah. Washington's most wanted. And they were after that one particular thief that whose girlfriend died on the freeway at 6 PM, 6 AM in the morning oh, sure. yeah. by the Mercer street exit. And he was a known thief. And, uh, they asked me, you know, if I could help in any way, and I showed them. They were interested in our in our page to see what we're doing and see if it, any results were coming from it. Um, they interviewed me briefly, but they never took it any farther. Um, I think it needs to be, you know, the the big problem from what I see is that the value of the vehicle is what comes into play. Why it's not pursued? Sure. Because I believe, if I'm correct, it's thirty thousand dollars and below in a vehicle value is only a misdemeanor now for auto wow. theft. It, huh. used, it used to be ten thousand dollars and below, but now it's thirty. So how many people have vehicles that are worth right. more I think than $30,000? Right. Well, you know? I, have, right. I have my $30,000 Grom stolen. Can yeah. I report that? Let's report that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and maybe you'll get a detective's attention. <laughs> That's right. You know. 
One of the things I think about uh, social media is I think it's probably a help to law enforcement now where they, they may not have called you for 30 days, but somebody who was on it might have been already trolling out your site. I know we had a, a whole thing going on, the, the, the woman that we just discussed. That's right. And, and it, it, it can be useful for law enforcement to gather more evidence and information and also find out who those friends are in those circles. It really works well, I think, to start to connect, connect the dots a little bit. Exactly. Right? Which agree. is, I think, the main thing there. Yeah. And where people can, you know, just a little bit of information here or there, maybe almost casually, but when the parts start to line up, mm-hmm. then you have a pretty clear path to That's where to correct. go. We had someone lost their Triumph, Daytona 675, recently. And sure enough, somebody spotted it on the side of the road down in, uh, um, I can't think of the area, but south of Seattle here. Sure. And they went to our page directly because they had seen it there, and they posted that, I see the bike sitting on the side of the road with an R1 and two Groms. And sure enough, they were really? just uh, on, yeah. Beacon, on Beacon quickly, Hill is yeah. where they were. They were just dumped on the side of the road. They, you know, they couldn't, the Triumph wasn't going to run, and who knows about the R1 and the Groms were in pieces. Sure. So, and, but they, they remembered seeing it on my page, and they went back and posted it there, and then I saw it, and I knew the owner of the bike, and... You know, off we went. Right. Hmm. Well, now, you know, we're focusing a lot on uh, Seattle here, which I know it's the Seattle Used Bike Registry. But I'm curious because we have, obviously, we cover the entire Pacific Northwest. Have you had anybody else from other major cities in the Pacific Northwest, say Portland or Vancouver, contact you and say, hey, how did you get this started? What uh, are some tips maybe? Yeah, there's one out of Vancouver, B.C. that has actually reached out to me. And, and it mimics a little bit of what we do. Um, I have seen some other sites like this around the nation Mainly in Washington, though, it's bicycles you'll see these kind of sites develop for. Sure. Recover the bicycles. In fact, SPD has that program, Get My Car Back and Get My Bike Back. It's a blog, SPD blog, right. where you can look up your license plate number, and if it's been spotted, they'll have some information there. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd really like to see – I, I love to see these things that are originated by people that are involved in the sport or the field here, right? Like you own Seattle used bikes. That's correct. Right? So you're pioneering this. This is great for your customers. It's great for the sport. I'd really like to see that throughout the entire Northwest where people, these major cities, have their own registries, right? You bet. Because that's one of the things for with a lot of – particularly I know with bicycles and probably with motorcycles too, it's like – Boom, they get on a truck and they go to the next major city, then they part them out there, right? That's one yeah. way to create sure, distance. Sure, of course, of course. But if we could somehow connect all these resources together, that would really make it a much safer place. It's uh, tough. It's to tough. As the, yeah. as the parts aren't registered you know, on the bike. Each sure. part's individual. You can buy them over the counter. Um, it's a tough one. That's a tough thing to do. I've taken one more step, and Seattle Used Bikes taken one more step to help our customers in that we've just opened recently a secure storage facility. We have an off-site facility now um, close by where we can store up to 65 motorcycles safe and secure. And uh, it's another way to get a bike off the street. Sure. Um, a horrible example was just brought to me recently, a, a gentleman with his uh, Ducati Panigale Superbike mm. that a year ago they tried to steal. And as they hit his ignition lock with a the screwdriver, they went right through his gas tank, didn't get the bike. Oops. Um, <laughs> this time they came back. And the bike was secured in his carport, but they went and cut his brake lines, removed his front brake calipers, all of his handlebars, all of his controls up on top, and disabled the motorcycle completely, costing him thousands of dollars to get this back on the road. Right. And it's just a shame. They left the bike there, but they took all the good pieces off of it. And, of course, the Panigale, that's just under 30000 I think. Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> well, not, not if you get the carbon fiber sprocket. That's, that's right. right. Then yeah, you that's pay right. The and the underwear. Grand. I'm with it. Now, that's a, good, that's a good way to sell it there, right? You have to get it all together yeah, so you can get exactly. over that 30000 mark. Do you have maybe, because um, you've been in the industry so long, do you have maybe some tips, just general tips? Because not everybody, there's a lot of daily riders and that kind of stuff all throughout the city here. 
Do you have like what's the easiest, most practical way to protect your bike from theft? I've got a couple of good tips. Yeah. Um, there was an article, and I'll share. I'll, I'll mention was um, from Ride Apart, which is an online magazine. Now, this is the one that's linked off your site, right? Yes, it's linked okay. off our site, and, and they interviewed a motorcycle thief, and they said, "What do you do? What's the best way?" And the most vulnerable areas he pointed out were parking garages in high-end neighborhoods, a la South Lake Union area, sure. where they can get in, they can just go to work, nobody sees them. And what he recommended was obviously securing the bike to something solid, anchored in the ground. You, you can you can buy anchors, you can put in the concrete and cable your bikes to them. Also, he recommended if you use a disc lock, that you put it on the rear disc, not the front disc, because mm-hmm. the front disc, they can take a hammer, smack it, and they're out of there. Rear disc, it's a little harder to get at for them that to makes break sense. it off the bike, break it off the disc. Yeah, um, We saw last year somebody tried to get the disc lock off a front brake disc, and they just cut through the disc instead of being smart enough to remove the lock, and then they disabled the bike because it wouldn't roll. Well, do you do you find that a lot of times that is perhaps the case where it's more devastating the damage that you're trying to steal the bike than actually by far? Yeah, by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other uh, any other good tips for our listeners? Do you think? I mean, anchor it in, uh, get a disc disc lock, put it on the rear tire. Yeah, those there. are the best things you can do. Anchor yeah. to something, and and you know there are also great alarm systems out there or great disc lock alarms you can put on your bike that have piercing sound. Sure. I think Xena is one of the brands and uh, put that on your, on your, on your rear disc and just scare them away. Hopefully. Right. But there's not much you can do. If they want your bike, they're going to take it. And so anchoring, sorry, I yes. didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, so if you want to anchor your bike, what kind of chain, how thick or how big of a chain well, or I, cable do you sure. have to use? I think some of the major manufacturers like Kryptonite, you can look and see what they have to offer. They go up to a certain gauge of chains that are pretty tough to cut. But if they want it, they're going to get they're it. They're going to get it, yeah. yeah. You know, the mo- most horrific one I heard of was a man had his bike tied down in the back of his pickup truck. They pulled up. It wasn't really locked up much. They they pulled up another pickup truck next to it, cut the outside tie down. The bike sprung into the bed of the other truck, and off they drove about 35 seconds later. Well, do you think, do you tell me if you agree with this here too, Dave, because sometimes it's not uh, the actual um, – the actual sort of physical strength of the protection mechanism as much as making your bike a more difficult target than the one next to it. Exactly. Right? You know, I think some of us travel to Europe. You see over there, you see rows and rows of bikes parked out in front of a building. Sure. And the obvious ones have the lock that goes through the wheel. They put it right over the top of the seat. So you see that you bike see is it. locked. Yep. So you go to the next one that's not locked. And we don't have as many bikes here in the Northwest like that, but still, they're going to go to the easiest target. And oftentimes, they'll loop back in a couple months and look at your bike again if right. they felt it was almost stolen before. So that, they almost got it. That's a lot like for those outdoorsmen. That's a lot like bear safety. You don't have to be the fastest one in the group. That's right. You, know, you, just, right. you just have to be the one that's not the slowest. Right. So, right. Yeah. You know, some of the things I like to see happen is that uh, possibly SPD get involved and create a yeah. blog for motorcycles as well because the auto blog they have to get my car back. It's not enough for motorcycles. We can't. We you can. They barely post motorcycles in there. Well, I think that someone should. I think you should just retain the monopoly on this through your page because once you start getting all these different pages, sure. then a bike gets stolen. Now I got to go list it at six different places. That takes a lot of time, and we don't know who's posting up that they spotted a bike here and there, I'd rather see one page only myself. Well, that's, t- that's difficult. I think if, if SPD spearheaded that and, and took on something like that, that would be a good thing for everyone because we're a small entity. Nobody, not everyone. I mean, what, 500 followers on our page so far. Sure. Yeah. But uh, certainly our local community knows who we are. We, we definitely tag, you know, the backfire folks, and we tag all the local clubs when there's something going on. 
but it's hard, hard thing to get the, to get the word out on that hard, hard thing to, uh, and I see it every day. We all see it every day. The bikes that are parked aside the road, you're going, wow, how can this guy leave his helmet sitting on his bike and walk away? It right. Just, it makes no sense. Well, I tell you what, I still think it's a great, uh, a great program. And, uh, the, even, you know, you talk about having maybe a dozen or two bikes recovered. That's really an astounding success rate. I think Thank considering you. how many plate, how many bikes are getting parted out yeah, it's right, horrible. to get that many recovered. Um, once again, if you go to Facebook and you search for the uh, Seattle, I'm sorry, the Seattle Stolen Bikes Registry, Seattle right? Stolen, stolen Motorcycle, Motorcycle Registry. Seattle Stolen <laughs> Motorcycle Registry. You can find it on there. You can also uh, search for uh, Seattle Used Bikes and Correct. find Dave's shop just down here in Seattle. Uh, Dave Roosevelt, thank you so much for coming in. This was really a Thanks, pleasure. Gentlemen. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks for coming guys. over. Thanks, this is Garden Robinette from Trail Tech, makers of Voyager. You're listening to the Soundwriter Show. Hi, I'm Ellen. My primary bike is a Honda CTX 700, and my favorite ride is Washington Route 101 out to Long Beach Peninsula. We're back with the Soundwriter Show, and uh, we've got uh, one of our special guests here today, uh, Jesse Murphy from Truett Motorcycle Education. And Derek, uh, you said that you wanted to go and get some training with Gary, some one-on-one training with Gary. That's right. As your New Year's resolution. And uh, that's one of the things that uh, Jesse does in two ways. He will, uh, he will do one-on-one training with you on the road where he'll go out and ride with you and critique your riding and help you to uh, move up to the next level you want to go to. And the other thing you can do is either go to his shop or he'll come to yours, and he'll do some uh, one-on-one training with you on whatever aspects of service you want to do. That's right, yeah. And, you know, that's just to be fair here. Now, I actually had three New Year's resolutions planned. Uh, one of those was to go meet with Jesse. The other one was uh, to go meet with Mike to do a little sport bike training too. So it's going to be an education-filled year for me here. But, Jesse, let's talk a little bit about Truett Motorcycle Education. You've been doing this since 2007, and uh, we're not talking about – we're talking about the entire scope of motorcycle training here. So let's bring up the listeners up to speed a little bit on exactly what you do over there at Truett, and maybe we can get into uh, how you and I can maybe get together and maybe teach me a few things. Sure. Well, thanks for uh, having me over. Uh, At Truett Motorcycle Education, um, what I'm focused on is providing an opportunity uh, for riders to have – a coach sure. uh, to help them uh, to do what they want to do on bikes. And motorcycles are extremely, <clears throat> excuse me, extremely fun. Um, and sometimes it takes a little help and guidance to be able to unlock the potential. Um, I've heard many, many stories over the years uh, of folks who are like, oh, you know, I'd really like to do this kind of riding, but I don't know how. Right. Or, you know, I wish I could ride my bike all the time, but when the weather's not perfect outside, I just don't feel like it's okay for me to be out there riding. And those are some of the things that I help with. Sure. So uh, not, I mean, the skill aspect, the confidence aspect, yep. and there's also something to be said, I think, from uh, being able to go for sort of those more general education things to somebody that's not in your immediate group of friends too, sure. right? To be able to get outside of that. That way you feel open to ask the questions and uh, really get into the nitty gritty there. What do you find is sort of the thing that people come to you 
the most? I mean, is it kind of a little bit of a, like a shoulder shrug, like, hey, um, I'm feeling like this or I want to learn this and I have no idea where to start? Or is it some, or do people come to you saying, look, I need to get better in the corner. I need to learn mechanical skills. What do you find is sort of the normal thing for you? Yeah, sometimes, uh, especially on the riding side, um, a lot of people will come to me and, and with that, that kind of feeling of, you know, I think it should be a lot more fun mm-hmm. and a lot more easy than it is. How do I get there? Right. Um, you know, because it seems like my buddy... It puts no effort into it. Sure. I want to feel that way too. Um, and, and a lot of times it will be specifics like, you know, feel great uh, until the road starts curving mm-hmm. or, gosh, going downhill, that's no good, which is pretty difficult around here because as soon as you go up, you got to come back down. <laughs> there's Yeah. There's a lot of up and downs here. Definitely Seven in hills. the Northwest. That's right. Well, what, um, you know, so let's say that like, I come to you, I go to the website, right? I shoot you an email and I say, hey, Jesse, you know, I, I, so I'm at your website. And I've really been really looking to learn how to do this. What's the next step? Like, where do you take us from there? So the the first step uh, when I I con- have when people contact me is we talk about you know what riding experience is. Um, try to learn a little bit more uh, about the specifics yeah. of where you're feeling um, that you want to improve. Uh, just get some ideas, um, you know, some some ideas of of what riding you want to do. Uh, what what your goals are, uh, and then and then kind of work from there in a conversation back and forth to figure out all right you know how are we going to approach this what what's a plan uh, and then kind of put a, a plan together of all right let's you know try uh, going out for two a couple hours yeah. and um, and working on some specific things it's I can get a pretty good idea of of where we can start uh, but one of the big things is is got to see a ride. And so we got to get out there on the road and, and make it happen so that I can really gel the direction that we want to go. And that's, I think, one of the, the great things about this is that um, we, we don't have a set path right. to so start with. It sounds like everything is essentially custom-tailored to yes. the specific individual yep. there, which is something that's really unique. Mm-hmm. We see so many group classes that I think that this is really, uh, yeah. this is my preferred approach, I think. Well, and, and so much training is only available either on a training field right, or at the track, but there's not that much on-street training available. And there, you know, this is the first time I'd ever heard of one-on-one on-street training being available. And what, that's, that's a great point too, Tom. But what, what inspired that to do one-on-one? Because it would seem like maybe from a business perspective, you'd say, you know, I'm going to try to get 10 people in at 35 bucks a pop, right? So that might be a little yeah. bit more... <laughs> Uh, lucrative. Oh, that would definitely. cover about ten percent of the insurance, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but what? I mean, how did this come about? Because like one day, I mean, you're looking around yourself for maybe training, and you figure like, you know what? There's really not anything out there outside of these group classes or sure. books. There really is a need, I think, for these one-on-one tutoring sessions. What inspired you to get here, though? Well, you know, a lot of it was my background. Um, I uh, got originally involved in coaching uh, through snow sports. I've been involved with that. Uh, actually, I just got a 20-year pin from our oh. uh, national organization. Congratulations, yeah. yeah. Pretty stoked about that. Do they give you a snow bike, a timber sled when that happens? Man, <laughs> those yeah. are so cool. Hey. I want to go try no, that yeah, out. Yeah. Clock radio. That's, that's, that's right. one of my <laughs> New Year's resolutions. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a world where, um, like Tom was saying, in motorcycling, we typically have the, the group environment in a very set curriculum yep. of what you're going to do in each activity which is awesome and we have some of the 
best selection of motorcycle learning opportunities um, in group type and structured courses anywhere in the country. That's uh, pretty and, neat. And let's let's be clear here with the listeners. Um, Jesse, going out with Jesse is not going out like going out with Uncle Billy Bob in the back four. <laughs> right. uh, Jesse's a fully certified MSF instructor. He's done a lot of different training. Anyone who's come to the Rally in the Gorge knows he's up there on the Mary Hill Road every year with us, working on, with the group up there. So, um, you know, he's a highly skilled instructor, uh, both with groups as well as individuals. So, Absolutely. Yeah, and that's one of the things that makes it so interesting for me anyway is you talk about the Rally in the Gorge. Uh, this year I sat in on your suspension clinic, yeah. right? So it's not just riding skills, no. but those b- bringing it all together, right? Yeah. Which is, I think, kind of the emphasis is what I'm getting from you is to bring the technical aspects, mm-hmm. the physical aspects all together here because that's yeah. really where that comfort starts to come in. And once you hit that comfort level, and you can tell me your thoughts on this, to me, that's where the enjoyment really starts to take off, right? That's where it starts to compound and become tenfold, where all of a sudden you're out there, you're seeing the curves, you're understanding what's going on with the bike, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's just like, it's magic. Yeah, and yeah. that and that's that's a big thing. Um, you know, a, a couple of stories. Um, I, uh, I worked with a rider here uh, last fall and been riding about 20 years. Doesn't ride a ton, uh, but uh, but riding. Um, has a pretty good idea of controlling the bike and riding around and what he wants to do. And, and even in our talks, like, you know, he really understands what should be happening. And he's like, you know, I don't feel comfortable in certain situations and I don't know why. Right. Um, and so we went out, uh, we, uh, we worked on some stuff for a couple hours and the, he, he was able to make it happen. Um, and, and that was a lot of seeing his riding and coming up with a plan of, okay, you, you've got the words in your head. Um, here's what's happening on your motorcycle. Here's specifically what needs to change mm-hmm. in your riding. Um, and, and it led to really good outcomes. You know, another, uh, another rider I worked with, um, she was making the transition from a big uh, maxi scooter to a victory. Um, that's a considerable change there. there. Yeah, there was a slight change <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, and um, yeah, and so you taught her how to shift, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and and that was the thing is you know the the basic mechanics of it, steering, braking, shifting, and stuff like that. That was all right. She was just fine with that. Yeah. Um, it was just really starting to listen to the bike to understand what the bike is telling her, uh, so that she can be confident in the feedback that she's receiving so sh- that she can be confident in her ride. And, yeah, it made a big difference. She it's went a world from, of uh, difference. Huge difference. Yeah. She went from, you know, not really feeling confident on always jumping on the bike to commute to work every morning to it being no big thing. Sure. It was just like, all right, it's like hopping in your car and off we go to work. So now you mentioned one of the first things that you do is you, you have to see him ride. Yes. Right. So this is, you know, you bring down, you hop on the bike and you go, okay, great. Let's uh, head north here. I'm going to be on your tail. I'm going to be at your six. Yep. How often when you get behind people, can you almost instantly spot sort of either the lack of the confidence or the, the missing skill set there? Is it something that becomes readily apparent to you? Because I mean, you're trained. I, yeah. We're going into 2016 here. This is going to be the ninth year, right, yeah. for you, for Truett. Do you see a lot like that comes readily available? Do you automatically kind of click in and say, oh, well, here's where we need to start? Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a lot of, um, 
uh, we call it uh, movement analysis. Yeah. And so when I'm following a rider, I'm you know just starting to look at what their body's doing. Um, I'm starting to you know almost sort of mirror what they're doing to help me figure out what they're experiencing on the ride, and starting to to try and predict. Um, what they're doing in their mental processing out on the road. And, yeah, it does come pretty quick. I'm like, okay, got some ideas. Here's what I'm seeing happen. And then we go try and work on some specific things. And that's where a lot of the – one of the biggest differences is is we don't have a set uh, path that we're following. So we can go ahead and look at what you're doing. And we, you know, typically through our conversations, we come up with an environment. You know, if, if the rider wants to work on city, uh, we're not going to – go cruise down highway nine sure to, uh, doesn't look make, at his ride doesn't make too much sense <laughs> no. yeah we're, we're gonna go uh into town and and ride around um and and kind of focus on that environment where they feel they want to work the most in um and and start to see those things pop out and then we can address each of those and come up with a path that is specific to that rider and i think one of the biggest things with that is it takes all this great knowledge that we have from the books and the videos and this really great knowledge that we have in a lot of the other uh, group uh, classes in the area and it allows us to find our own path quickly and i see that people's learning really accelerates through that um and and so that's a really big thing well i gotta tell you i think that that's brilliant like i mean that's just for me that is just because it, essentially it's cut to the chase right mm-hmm. yep. it's not these group classes and there's benefits to group classes there's a oh, lot yeah. of great group uh, ones out there and I would think maybe even that you take these group classes and you realize, look, 60% of this doesn't apply to me. I'm going to go to Jesse, and I'm going to say, this is, this is what I want to learn more of, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I mean this in, in a little bit of tongue-in-cheek here, but I, I'm interested. Have you ever ridden with somebody where you've just said, look, this probably isn't the sport for you? <laughs> Bang it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a really great question. That's yeah. a really great question. Um, I've, I've definitely ridden with some people that I would not want to be them. Right. On the motorcycle, sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, I one of the things I truly believe is motorcycles are these wonderful, great things mm-hmm. that were designed by people for people to go ride. Right, and if you're a people, you can probably you can ride probably a motorcycle. Ride yeah, you know, and it's it's making that relationship and that connection with the rider to be able to find the pathway for them to become a motorcycle rider. Right. Because um, we're, we're people. It takes we're, all kinds. We're made to ride motorcycles. Well, honestly, you go to some of these larger motorcycle gatherings, too, and you see all shapes, all mm-hmm. sizes, all ages. So really, it should be something that people can learn pretty much across all demographics. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, I, you have to have the desire, yeah. for sure. Because, you know, it's, it's a little different than other activities that we do. Um, and there takes some commitment. But... You know, if if you have the drive, um, I think with the right guidance, yeah, you can be a good rider. So I like that word desire. I can see that on a T-shirt. True at motorcycle education <laughs> and desire. And we're not just talking new riders right. or a two, three, four year rider. Someone like me, my my mantra is that I'm going to go get some kind of training every two years. That's an excellent yep. point too. And so it's not going to just be the same old MSF class over and over again. I've taken right. adventure training. I've taken uh, sidecar training. Uh, you know, because we have so many great different things and and doing a little one-on-one wouldn't hurt no matter where a rider is right. in their experience well and to follow up on that and uh just one other quick question for you after this so we can kind of get this wrapped up here but have you had people come to you and say look 
you know, I've been riding for 20 years. Uh, this is the skill I want to learn. Get on the bike, you follow him, and you go, look, I know you want to learn this, but really we should focus on this first. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times people get into a sport for so long, those small bad habits, yep. right, you can get away with them for literally years at a time. Yep. And then they compound, and the next thing you know, that one in ten chance happens, right? And next thing you know, you're down on the side there. Has that been an experience that has uh, Who'd happened happen to you? Who that to? I haven't been in the sport for ten years, so uh, <laughs> I uh, I played the fifth on that one there. But uh, is that something that you maybe do you emphasize that with people when they say, "Oh, you know, that's great what you're doing." Yeah, I was a teacher too, and I think that's really great. But I've been riding for twenty five years. There's nothing you can show me. There's nothing you can teach me. Do you ever have those people? Maybe just in general conversation where you go, well, look, let's take a step back here. Um, I know you've been riding a long time. You could probably teach me something, but I bet I could probably teach you something too. Yeah, you know, and that's uh, there's kind of two aspects to that. Um, and and I think one of the values of of what I do is that it's it's about what the rider is desiring, right? And improving that rider's ride. So yeah, it doesn't really matter how long you've been riding or what your riding experience is, I can help guide you to what you want to do next. Right. And uh, that's, I think, the biggest value of having a coach. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as defining that path, it also comes down to that desire is, um, you know, you may be like, okay, um, I need to learn how to properly get off the seat in corners. Um, I may find that, watching you ride there's some other things but as a coach my job is to show you that path is to show you how everything is related not only in explaining how everything is related but actually going working on the bike so you can realize how everything we do is actually leading you to that goal and that's one of the big differences with a um, a, a custom learning environment like this as opposed to a specific class is we don't have that specific abc route uh if we need to go dcab we do it right and and that really helps those riders so it it doesn't it's not not really an issue in any way it's it's actually an opportunity um to find that rider's path well i tell you what jesse you've got me sold and uh, you're going to be hearing from me probably within the next week or two so before we before we leave here though let's talk about the other side of true it yeah which is yeah. uh the one-on-one shop training which I found really cool. So That's right, and uh, that's what we're going to lead into here. I just want to plug his okay. website real quick, truiteducation.com, mm-hmm. for any of this. But let's talk a little bit about that shop training. You want to lead in here, Tom? Yeah, so anybody who read the articles that I ran in the uh, what was it, November and December issues mm-hmm. on the chain replacement, I mean, it turned into like a 2,500-word article. So <laughs> right. we had to break it into two parts for sure. But uh, if you read those, the, the way those articles came about was that uh, I went over to Jesse's with my bike one day, and we did a, a chain and sprocket replacement. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really cool because uh, Jesse did all the work, and I just sat there. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, but I mean, it, it, but I know that. Um, you know, I could have been doing all the work, and he could have sat there. But either way, he has so much wisdom with with uh, tech work too that he's able to talk about all the aspects of what we're doing and why we're doing them, and why we're not going to use a particular lubricant here, and and why we don't want to torque that thing too too low or too high. You know, just all the type of stuff that you're not going to get when you just take your bike to the shop. And if you want to do level one, level two service yourself, uh, it doesn't hurt to get a mentor once in a while and get pushed through and understand what you're doing a little better. 
Well, so. And I would think, too, I mean, you can tell us maybe about your experience here, but mm-hmm. I would think that people are a lot more comfortable admitting their lack of mechanical knowledge than they are lack of writing skill. Is that something that you think you've run into? Yeah, I would definitely agree yeah. with that. Um, you know, it's motorcycling is interesting um, because a lot of us, myself included, um, we kind of grew up with motorcyclists um, not really having mentors per se. A little more Wild um, West, I think. Yeah, right? a little yeah. bit more Wild West. Yeah. And, and it was always kind of gaining that critical mass for any question you had to where it's like, okay, I really need to ask somebody right. <laughs> because I can't go forward. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's, but there's a lower uh, barrier uh, to the mechanical stuff as far as being like, okay, you know, I want to do this because a lot of people don't expect themselves to just be able to tear into a bike and, sure. and get it fixed up. But that's a huge money saver, right? When you start being able to do the level one maintenance, yeah, even I it mean, really that saves is. you a lot of money and uh, really makes you more comfortable in the ride too. I, you know, for my in my experience anyway, yeah. just even knowing the basic stuff like how to change, uh, change your oil mm-hmm. and the chain, uh, adjust your chain. Now all of a sudden you're ready. You know that 500 mile trip doesn't seem so daunting. And, and if you're yep. a total mechanical klutz, just go to the dealer and get it done. No, right. you know, there's going to be those people who sure. you know they don't care about saving money, but then there's people like yeah. I, I just I like to do it as almost a therapy. Yeah, wrenching my bike. You Absolutely. Know? Well, you got Quint. Yeah. Y'all keep mentioning chain. <laughs> yeah. What, what's a chain? Yeah. <laughs> well, in your <laughs> case, we'll do a belt replacement. Okay? Instead of had a chain in so long. Oh my god. <laughs> In your case, we'll fix that oil leak. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I got uh, just maybe one last question for you here to wrap this up here, Jesse. If you had just maybe one piece of general advice that you think would apply to all riders, what do you think that might be? I know this is putting you on the spot, but uh, maybe you've got something locked and loaded you can let our listeners in on. You know, um, I I think the one thing uh, to do as a rider um, is ride more. Uh, Like we said with our New Year's resolutions today, get out there and ride. Um, that, that makes a difference. Um, no amount of training is going to make a lasting impact unless you go out and use it and going out there and riding, it makes it better. It makes it more fun. I, it, it really is the thing. I tell you what, that's, that's the best thing that anybody could tell you. That's like a diet coach telling you, you know, really what you need to do is eat more. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Jesse, this has really been a pleasure, man. I can't tell you how excited I am to work with you. We can't tell you how much we thank you for coming down to the Rally in the Gorge all the time. Oh, yeah. Truitt Education, that's T-R-U-I-T-T, education.com. Jesse Murphy, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back Thanks, on the Sound Rider Show. Thanks. Hey, this is Bob Gerby from Gordon Seated Clothing, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. Hey, I'm Don Hutchins. I'm the editor of the Washington State BMW Riders newsletter, The Shaft. I live in Kingston. My favorite ride is the Tahoya Peninsula on my K1600 with my sweetie on the back. We are back with the Soundwriter Show, and uh, 
oh, just hold on, it's almost over. But, uh, of course, we never leave without a tip. And, by the way, I want to thank our guests, uh, Dave Roosevelt and uh, Jesse Murphy, for coming in today. Great guys. Yeah, Excellent great interviews, guests. Good yeah. interviews. Yep. They, they, they do good things. They make good things happen. So, uh, so many talents here in the Northwest, man. I tell you what, a lot of good people in the industry here. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know it's winter. Um, and uh, Quint has a tip for us today. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I've been riding year-round for a long time. So there is no season, is there? No. It, it, in the state of Washington, the Seattle area, no. It, if you want to ride, uh, you're going to get wet. There's a lot of truth <laughs> to that. <laughs> uh, but especially when, when the weather gets really bad, uh, when it's actually winter time. Uh, some of the some of the things I thought of, and this was one of those deals where as Tom says, uh, "Yeah, we're doing the podcast tomorrow. Bring a tip." Uh, 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 okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he brought a matchbook. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> he brought a pen. So inclement weather tips. Um, dressing layers. Everybody knows this kind of stuff. You dress in layers. You can peel them off. You can add them on. Um, another way to go is heated gear. Um, I have a couple of pieces of heated gear that. I don't even wear. Um, Also, if you're doing a long trip, um, you're going to want to make more frequent stops. You're going to want to stop, stretch, get your blood flowing better, and drink something warm. Drink something hot. And eat. Yes, fuel. Fuel. Yep. Um, Now, when it comes to controlling traction uh, in in clement weather, um, now your speed is going to determine your braking. Um, Now... All this year, this Harley that I have, uh, I have ABS brakes, anti-lock brakes. Um, if you don't have anti-lock brakes, that's when you got to be careful. Um, I think the best thing for winter weather riding to come along in a long time is anti-lock brakes. I don't have to worry about locking up my wheels. Okay, uh, But then, like I was saying, it's about the speed. So if you don't have ABS, um, if you're going slow and the road's wet, you don't want to grab a handful of your front brake. That's the fastest way to go down. If you're doing less than 13 miles, or actually, no, that's the steering for 13 miles an hour. If if you're probably doing under 20, um, you don't want to use your front brake too much in inclement weather. Uh, And especially if you're in a puddle. If you're in a puddle with a chance of hydroplaning, you don't want to be grabbing your front brake. Okay. The thing about using your rear brake is you, you're going to do your head and eye control. Your head's up, your eyes are up, you're looking up and forward where you're going. Yeah. Okay? And then if you do lock up your rear brake, you're still going to keep going straight. And you know, when you get in a puddle, and this, this is as true in the dirt as it is on the street, you can't see what is under there. No. But um, on a motorcycle, you've got somewhere between a 16 and a 21-inch front wheel. So chances are... Even if there was a pothole down there, it's it's not going to throw you off the bike. It's when you freak out and yes. you hit a little bump and then you grab that front brake in the puddle and, yeah. and Lord knows, you know, you don't want to have that. And that's the whole thing about hydroplane. If you're in a puddle, all you got to do is relax. Don't stress your traction, okay? If, you, if you're in a puddle and you have a chance of hydroplaning and you grab your front brake, yeah, you're going to hydroplane, you're going to slide. And usually when you lock up your front brake, it's too late. If you're on the freeway and it's raining an inch an hour, don't hydroplane. Right. And you probably, cars will, I, I do believe, I could be wrong on this, but uh, it seems to me cars will hydroplane before a motorcycle, but I might be wrong. Uh, yeah, I, 
That could go either way. Yeah, I'm but not, I, I know really when sure. I'm on the freeway, I'm I'm really good at riding in the rain, and mm-hmm. I can do 65 miles an hour yeah. down I-5 yeah. in the rain. The problem is, at some point, I may hydroplane. Right. So I do have to be as confident as I am. I need to be conscious of that speed and keep it down. Uh, we were just having a conversation with a guy on our Facebook page the other day about. Um, you know, he was he was he didn't like us promoting riding in the rain, <laughs> and you know you can't not ride in the rain if you live in the Pacific yeah. Northwest, no matter what time of year it is. So uh, what I pointed out to him was that um, what I the way I've learned it from racers is you lose about ten percent traction right. in rain. Yes. So it doesn't mean you have to go from sixty down to forty. It just means go down to 55, maybe go down to 50. And if nobody wants to slow down around you, go off into the right lane and do it at your pace. Um, no one's going to pull you over, whatever. So, And the thing here in our local area around Seattle, uh, the roads, each of the lanes of the freeway, are rutted. They've got two tire tracks down each lane. Um, you don't want to be in the tire track where the standing water is. Ah, that's where you're going to sure. hydroplane. Collects in there yeah, pretty fast, yeah. definitely. So, And ride, then someone will tell you it. you don't want to be in the middle of the lane because that's where the oil is starting well, to lift off. Not so much, and it depends on how long it's been raining and how yeah. hard. It's rained enough around here. We probably yeah, don't have too much of that you know, oil in the center. Washed away a little bit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I think maybe the big takeaway is though that's like anything else, right? You have to uh, you have to keep your head up. Yep, you head have and to, eyes up. Yep, keep your head and eye up, eyes up, and you want to also make sure that uh, you don't. If you're uncomfortable, don't go out. But also on some of those maybe transition days, a little light running, start to get a little practice. Exactly, yeah, right? Exactly. Start start to get used it. to it. Yeah, yeah. The next on the list, right? Practice. Absolutely. You yep. got to practice. Um, if if you're, not, I don't want to say if you're afraid, but if you're skittish at all. If you have any kind of heebie-jeebies at all about riding in the rain, sure. practice. practice. You've got to practice. Yep. And like, like you were saying, Tom, you still have 80 to 85% of your traction mm-hmm. even with the road wet. Right. Um, so as, as long as you're not stressing your traction, you're going to be fine. Yeah, that's why I buy 110% traction tires. So it brings me <laughs> yeah. right back down to you. Where can I get those? All yeah. right, folks. <laughs> hey, happy new year to everybody. Woo-hoo. Thanks for joining us on the January show. We'll be back in February with more uh, more minutes of ways to waste your time with us and uh before motorcycling is never a waste of time before we go i do want to say one thing don't drive don't ride like my mother and don't ride like (laughs) my mother either quint thanks so much for joining us folks we'll see you in february the sound rider show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.